And uh, please turn in your copy of God's Holy Word to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. We're returning to our series on the Christian family and the sub-series on marriage especially. And last time, it's been a couple of months since we were in the series due to uh, various sermons that had to be preached in the intervening time. But last time we saw that the husband was to love his wife as Christ loves his church. And our theme was loving leadership, how we love uh, men, husbands, love their wives and lead them even as Christ does his church. And today we're going to find an application of his loving leadership, which is exercised by him being a provider for her. He is the provider of his wife. And so with that then, to introduce where we're at, uh, I'm going to consider verses 22 through 29 particularly, but uh, we will read the entirety of the chapter from Ephesians 5 verse 22 to the end. Let's give our attention again to the reading of God's holy word. These are his words. They are not the words of mere men. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband." And so far, the reading of God's word, let's pray for his blessing on the preaching. Our Father and our God, words of mere men cannot capture how greatly Christ loves and provides for us his bride. And so we pray that you would work in the spirit, through your spirit, that the Holy Spirit would work in the preaching of God's holy word that something would be communicated to us tonight of the love Christ has for his bride, and that men would love their wives uh, in, in in, in some sense like Christ has loved his own bride, providing all things necessary for us. We pray that men would see the great calling to provide for their own wives and that young men would uh, would be preparing to do so. And the only way that can happen, Father, is if you would bless the word. Cause your minister to preach faithfully. Have him preach even what might be painful for the flesh to hear. But may that pain be the pain that Christ, our mediatorial king, we heard of this morning would send forth by the rod of his power, that we would be made willing to conform ourselves to the very mind of God. Bless your people now with open hearts. Make them willing 
in the preaching of the Word. And so, Father, we pray that You would let me speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our society has been corrupted with many disorders in the roles of husbands and wives today. And one place disorder has certainly crept in is in the concept that the husband is ordinarily to be the breadwinner, the breadwinner in the home, that they are to be the primary provider for their wife and children. And since this disorder has come in where men no longer see this, what has happened? Well, with women uh, working full-time jobs, the wife has absolutely no time to be a mother. Children are often raised by strangers. The home is often disordered and unkempt. And husbands, right, let's not think on just the wives. Husbands have become far more irresponsible and far more childish than ever before. And if that is physical provision, what of spiritual provision which you see here in this text as well? Spiritually, churches no longer teach that uh, a husband is responsible for spiritual leadership in the home. That he is to be the spiritual provider of the home, not just a physical provider. And so we find today in the churches of God disorder both spiritually and physically in Christian homes. And things are rather falling apart in households throughout the church. But if men would, out of a Christ-like love in this chapter, see that they are to be the primary provider for the home of everything that the home needs, physically and spiritually, especially showing forth Christ to their family, then our homes would be well-ordered and the blessing of God would be received and Christ would be glorified in our midst. Our homes would have that picture of Psalm 128 that we've thought on long. That there would be the blessing of the fear of God in the home and it would be well ordered. And so with that, to just sort of set the theme before you, our theme is the husband as Christ-like provider. The husband as Christ-like provider. And we'll consider that under three heads. First is to start with Christ as his wife's provider. Second is to see a husband's need to provide for a wife's body. And third, to see the husband's need to provide for his wife's soul. First, Christ as his wife's provider. Now, as a review, the thrust of this text and the glory of it really is on Christ's love for his own bride, which is the church. That's what makes this such a beautiful text, isn't it? Not so much that this is a text about our earthly marriage. That's secondary. It's here, certainly. That's why we're preaching on it. But first and foremost, it's to have us revel in the love of Christ for his bride. And so when it comes to our own marriage, we can only think on them in view of how greatly Christ loves his church. Then only can we understand the duties of husbands towards their wives. And as we think on the church's response to God's or Christ's love, we understand the church's duty to submit and adore her husband, her heavenly husband. Only then can women understand the duties of being a wife to their own earthly husband. And when we understand the mystery that Christ and His church are made one, then we understand something of the lifelong companionship between husband and wife. You see, it all starts with Christ and His church. And so our primary verse for this theme that is set before us is in verse 23. That the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, we have that very good. But here, look at the analog then must, must translate to this. And he is the savior of the body. 
He is the Savior of the body. What does it mean that Christ is the Savior of his wife, the church? And you can think of it narrowly, and I don't want you to think of it narrowly, especially in view of the theme this morning in Psalm 110. He is the Savior of his wife, meaning he provides all that she needs. All that she needs. Not just salvation. He provides protection. He provides provision. Everything that we need, Christ provides. That's what our husband does. What do we remember in Philippians 4.19? The apostle said, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by who? Christ Jesus. All your needs, Christian. So maybe if you haven't thought of it this way, think of it this way today. All of your needs you find in Christ. All of his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And by way of context, in Philippians 4, Paul was relaying the material care the Philippians gave for him. Uh, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. But what he's saying is, yes, you cared for me, but that was actually Jesus Christ caring for me through your gift. Right? It is Christ who provides all things. And so what you need to remember, and um, I'm prone to forget, And I counsel many in the church who are prone to forget this, that whatever you need, whether it is for soul or body, it is coming to you through Jesus Christ, right? And But you need to take the next step relationally, which we often don't. It comes from Jesus Christ, your heavenly husband, your husband who is wed to you. Think of it this way then. Where does your daily bread come from? Your husband's riches Where does your salvation come from? Your husband's blood. Where does your inheritance come from? Your husband's death. Where does your sanctification come from? Your husband's washing you with the water of the word, verse 26. Where does your comfort come from? Your husband drawing you near. He provides all things necessary for soul and body for his bride. If you would remember, and you would recall this always, you would never fret. You would never be anxious, right? You would always be content. The one who is wed to me is caring for me. When your job or your goods come and go, you would say, my heavenly husband will provide for me. He will always provide for me. Is that not the reason the apostle says to be content? Let your conversation or conduct be without covetousness. Why? Why? And be content with such things as ye have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. My heavenly husband is my helper, and he will care for me. Why should I fear? When you look at the wedding relationship, that is how you are to relate to Christ. You know, and as I alluded to, I've had to counsel many this way. I've counseled my own soul this way. It is not, remove the thought that your provision comes from your job. It comes from Christ who uses your job. The job may come and the job may go. And and if you've been employed for any length of time, you've seen this likely. But has Christ not always cared for you? Because you see, the job is His provision to you. Your job doesn't provide. Christ provides through the work. Uh, You know, jobs, employers, they may come and go, but your husband has made wedding vows, so to speak, to care for you. And that's where you find your provision. Remove the thought then, take the next step, that your protection comes from your nation's military. It comes from Christ. 
He may use the military to protect you, but if it comes and it goes, Christ has made an unbreakable covenant, a wedding vow to be your shield and your fortress. And even if he sends death to you to fetch you in a war, what is he doing? He is using that war to bring you to the eternal home. He is prepared to dwell with you. In all ways, he cares for you. You are to keep your eyes on your husband, heavenly husband. He is the perfect provider. And that's why this theme, even in marriage, has deep application to all of Christ's people. Not just the married people here. If you are single, if you're a wife, if you're a husband, if you're a child, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, you have a heavenly husband. You have a heavenly husband who will provide for all your needs. Maybe not all that you want, right, in the flesh, which is our struggle with contentment, but he gives you all that you need. All that is best for you, he will give you. And most of all, has he not given himself to you? Absolutely. Well, that understanding of Christ as our Savior being also our provider for all things body and soul, we read, husbands must love their wives as Christ loved his church or loves his church. Husbands then, you have to note this, are little s saviors to their wife. They're little s saviors. They, they, they can't save them from their sins. No man can do that. Only Christ can. But instead, they are to model Christ's uh, provision, his love and care by providing for them and not neglecting them. Christ never neglects any of his people. And husbands are to prov- provide and they are not to neglect their wife. Whatever that they need, they need. The husband is to be uh, almost uh, preemptive and look after their needs as Christ was for us. So with that foundation laid, let us consider how a husband is to provide. And the first thing we will look at, our next heading, is his provision for his wife's body. Verses 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as what? Their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So the imperative here is husbands are to provide for their wives bodily needs, not just bodily, that'll be the next heading, spiritual as well, but they are to provide no less than for their wives bodily needs out of love. They are to tend to their wives' uh, own body as if what the apostle says, as if it were their own flesh, right? You can think primarily on things necessary for the body, food, housing, and clothing in this way. It is the husband's God-given responsibility to provide such things. To think on, right? Husbands, what a convicting thing this is. You are to think on their needs as you think on your own body's needs. That's what the verse says. You are to think on them. What does my wife need? What does she need for her body? What does she need to, uh, for her nourishment? What does she need for her covering and clothing and so on and so forth? I am to think just as much, and, and maybe some of us <laughs> maybe don't think enough of our own provision men, um, but we are to think of them uh, as we are to think of ourselves. Uh, consider how important this matter is to God. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 1 Timothy 5.8 Men, if you don't provide for your family, the Bible says you have denied the faith. And you are not an infidel. You are worse than an infidel. That's how seriously 
The Lord takes this matter. Now, why is it that you are worse than an infidel? It is because even nature itself teaches that men are to care for their wives and children. You don't even need the word of God to know it. My father, who was a heathen, took great care of my mother. Nature itself teaches this. You will find it in all the poetry of all the cultures on the earth. Men are to care for their wives. So how much worse it is when a Christian man, touched by the grace and love of God, knowing the scripture that teaches these things, refuses to provide for his own household. Worse than an infidel. So let me just say here, as I, as I come to this, uh, there, I, I don't want to have to nuance everything to death. So let me say that all the exhortations you're going to hear, and there are going to be some weighty ones, just like from 1 Timothy 5.8, are for ordinary situations. Okay? I don't want to have to caveat all the duties of the Word of God endlessly and nuance it. There is a legal maxim that is very helpful here. Uh, Hard cases make bad law. The Bible is written in that manner. God expects us out of wisdom to see when we need to exercise mercy. So, for instance, men, uh, husbands, if you are very sick or disabled so that your wife has to provide, the Lord knows that, and you are not worse than an infidel, right? Hard cases make bad law. So we're not talking of exceptions. Or let me consider another thing. If you've been diligent, you have been uh, uh, really diligent to try to find work, but let's say there's a famine in the land, so to speak. You don't fear that you are worse than an infidel. You are doing what you can, right? So I'm not going to deal with the hard cases today, but I want to leave that before you, that if you are in a hard case right now, that's not what this text is about. The preaching comes in the manner for ordinary circumstances. So I'll leave that there before you. Also, I do recognize as another matter, and this has been grieving me a lot, uh, as I even consider of my own young men and my family, many believers today have grown up having been unbelievers or maybe had made really poor decisions in immaturity in their youth, and they're suffering for it now, um, for being slack in times past, and they're receiving some perhaps chastisement or consequences for it, very difficult things. For men like you, you need to seek the Lord's help, and you need to be very diligent and work very hard to get yourself a career or do whatever it needs to be to be a provider for your family. Whatever it takes short of sin, you are to do to push yourself to reverse the errors of your youth. Now, this is what, and I think we, in the Reformed world, I want to deal with this real quickly. We have a caricature of what a man is. You know, my uh, mental fortitude and hard work and diligence are the defining characteristics in many ways of a man. You know, my dad, will, he told me many times, many times, uh, that he came to this country with 10 British pounds in his pocket. And he worked very hard to provide for his wife and family. And, and so what I'm noting uh, is that in our current society, as it is, men are not really men anymore, by and large. They've become children uh, well into adulthood. Or, or they have a caricature, and this kind of speaks to the Reformed world, that what is being a man? You think of some popular men online. Well, they basically say, you know, if you grow a beard and you drink some whiskey, then you're a man. My dad had no beard, and he never drank, and he was a man, and he cared and provided for his family. Being a man requires mental fortitude and perseverance. That is what Jesus is like. 
And that is a man, boys. Isaiah 57, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Here's what our Lord said, Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That's what manhood is like. There are, and I don't mean to be crude in this, there are a lot of effeminate men who hide behind beards and booze. A lot of effeminate men hide behind beards and booze. So be a man and have fortitude to provide. Seek God's grace in doing so. And if you have suffered for bad decisions, there is forgiveness for your past mistakes. Christ, he is rich in mercy. He is very gracious, but resolved by the grace of God to reverse them and be diligent by his help. So that out of the way with some difficult situations that many men are dealing with. Let us consider now the man's duty to provide. Husbands, as I said in the introduction, you are called to be the breadwinner. You must see yourself in that light. In our society, it has become all too common for men to to say and believe that their wife, and here's the word, must, must help provide as well. Right? I was reading some statistics. Uh, almost 60% of couples today are dual income. Now, it was in the 1960s that for the first time, over 50% of households were uh, dual income. Before that, it was utterly normative for the man to usually be the sole provider of the home. So let's ask, why is it, to correct these things, that men are no longer providers? There are a few drivers of this, and I think the first has to be feminism. You know, what has feminism taught our young ladies? That if they really had value, they would not labor in the home. Right? That's a feminist uh, dogma, as it were. To have value, you should not and must not, in fact, labor in the home. But instead, you must labor for another employer. To spend your years outside of the home. And it's not just, and that would be bad, bad enough if women were the only ones who bought this. Men have as well. Men have as well. Um, so that young men are deceived into believing that uh, if their wife labors in the home, they feel almost a kind of guilt for it. And they start to say, I am, maybe I'm oppressing my wife. Maybe I'm suppressing her gifts. That's feminism. I will revisit this when I get to the duties of wives in, in a different sermon. And I just want to put this here again. Just to put this here, there is no blanket prohibition against women helping with household income. I just want to be clear on that. As long as she does not neglect her domestic duties. I'll speak of that in another sermon. So don't take it that way. Again, take this as normative things and not all the cases that we could talk about. But ladies, let me say to reverse feminism, your worth is not tied to a career. Your worth is in no way tied to having a career. Uh, And I think you're seeing, and God has done this graciously, uh, he is showing the world that feminism is empty and hollow, hollow more and more. You know, now that we've had a couple of generations of women who've kind of grown under that lie that they must have a career to be fulfilled, so many, just go and read the number of articles or maybe you have friends who have told, told you this, so many women regret buying into that lie at the end of their years. Childless, husbandless, they realize there's no one there to care for them in their old age. They haven't shared life's joys and pleasures with a man. They see that the employer that they slaved for will never, ever be at the graveside. But what if the godly woman who labored for home and husband 
Many of them have a godly heritage, and they are blessed to see their children's children. And what do we read in Proverbs 31? Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. What career is worth that? See where true joy is found in your hearth and home. But the point is this, that the man must resolve that he will be the provider of their home in order that his wife will be able to tend to home and children and not feel the pressure of having to provide because of his negligence, which is where this usually begins. And so that's the second driver, sheer negligence on the part of men. Many men do not prepare for marriage. They don't grow up to provide for a wife. And many men are shameful in this, and you read about this, and you hear about this, and sometimes even in the church. They will shamefully find a woman who will take on the role of providing. Their interest in them is based on the woman's earning potential. You see that all the time. And so, young men, let me exhort you. You must not go into marriage thinking a wife is going to help or must help carry the financial load. You must resolve to carry the burden of providing for the material needs of the home. And that requires earnest preparation. And so parents, I'll encourage you to prepare your boys in this manner, that they are to be providers of the home. Young men, as you are growing up, and the years are going to go by like this. Even now, ask, how will I one day provide for a wife and child? You need to find a vocation. You need to find a career. You're not to flit about aimlessly. There are so many men. Time goes by in a flash and they find that they have no possibility right now of supporting a home. And let me tell you, it's getting harder out there. Have you seen what inflation is like? Have you seen what home prices are like? It is much harder today than it was when I was growing up and much harder than it was in my parents' generation. So you have to be diligent today and prepare now That ought to drive you to be a Christly man who will provide for a wife. And the third driver of men no longer being the sole provider is we often seek to conform our standard of living to societal and not biblical norms. What are you going to find in your neighborhood? If you don't have two fairly new vehicles, you're a failure, aren't you? If you don't have a four-bedroom house with a, in a beautiful community, you're a loser. If you don't have a $1,000 iPhone or Android, you are behind the times. I was thinking about this. One of the godliest ministers I know doesn't even have a cell phone, not even a flip phone. He has nothing. And if your child does not have your, their own phone plan when they are 10 years old, you're probably going to be seen in some quarters as abusive. And we struggle with keeping society's expectations and not God's. We think about other things. If you don't have a spectacular social media feed where you're all on these Instagram vacations at least once a year, you are probably feeling bad that you are not like your friends. And so there's this pressure that both father and mother must work in order to have these things that God has never said contribute to blessedness. It's fine if you have them. But these are not the things that God wants you to seek out. And, and this is why often there is a struggle with families today worth one income. The world has thrust these values right into your face, right into your pocket. In fact, on social media, hasn't it? We must be on guard. And we must say what the Bible says to say. If we have food and covering, then will we be content. 
Learn contentment early in your marriage, friends. You will not chase what the world chases, and you will find joy and contentment in God's ways instead of the depression. Have you seen? There are studies after study that more and more young people are depressed in the social media age. Why, everybody else's life looks so glamorous and wonderful, and it's not. But now they're putting these expectations on ourselves that God says do not have expectations for. Know me and be content. Which again, I want to say this. It's not to say you cannot excel in your vocation or be wealthy, right? But contentment will cause you to order your life with the proper priorities. And with over half of families having two incomes, you must never compare yourself, if you are a single-income household, to their standard of living. There are intangibles, beloved, you cannot find on social media that cannot be quantified in a news feed that you will be blessed with if you simply do what God says. Uh, Strain and stress in the marriage will be reduced. Children will not be raised by strangers. They'll be raised by their parents who love them and care for them, care to discipline them, as well as care to hug them and nurture them, and so on. We'll deal with some of that in other sermons on the family. Those things you are not going to find on your newsfeed. And they're worth more than a vacation in the Bahamas or a five-star restaurant that you were able to go to because husband and wife both had uh, well-paying jobs. Well, men, as leader of your home, with all that as your duty is to provide for your wife, you need to consider then all that your wife needs. And as you have heard in this text, you are to consider her needs even over your own. Is that not what Jesus Christ did? To sacrifice what you would love to do and what you would love to have yourself to make sure that your wife is cared for. All of us, men and women both, are selfish at heart. Our lusts are defined by the horse leeches, two daughters, give and give. And we need to put that away. And the particular temptation now is you think of, okay, maybe you are the breadwinner man. The temptation of a breadwinner is this. I deserve to spend on myself after all, I make all the money, right? That's not what Christ is calling us to as men, right? One of the great snares, I've already mentioned this, is men are still often children today. You know, I, I read recently that the greatest purchasers of new toys now are adults. And I'd wager they are adult men. Adult men. Men buy today and play video games these days that take away from both their earning potential and their ability to spend on their wife, on childish things. But men, I want you to consider what the Scripture says. And really, uh, men, uh, according to the Scripture, by the time you're 14 or so, you should have this mind. This is not talking about 42-year-olds. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. And when I became a man, I put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 13.11 Teenagers... Boys, young men, that ought to be you today. Don't wait till you're 18 to put away childish things. That ought to be you today. How old was Joseph when he married Mary and was raising Jesus Christ? A teenager, likely. But even in areas that may not be so childish, you think of these things and we often excuse ourselves. Many Christian men, here's something for us, reformed men. We buy more books than we can read, right? And we don't think, what does my wife need? Or they might be involved in something else. 
Now, some, some of these things are, are definitely no problem at all in moderation. But think of it. Men, if your wife is struggling to buy groceries for the family, or she is in old clothes while you wear the latest fashions and have the latest gizmos and gadgets and a pile of books you're not reading, you need to repent of that and care for your wife. Your wife's needs, as I have said, are constantly to be on your mind, men. You are to care for her as your own flesh. What are the words? Nourish and cherish her. Nourish and cherish her. Do you? Do you have a care for her in this way? You must. And if not, today must be the day of repentance for you. And you must care for her that way. Now, another area of physical provision is that men are called to be the protectors of their wife. You know, our husband, Jesus Christ, he protects us from the flesh, the world, and the devil. And husbands are called to be the protector of their wife. You remember when uh, King Azuerus uh, thought Esther was going to be uh, molested by Haman. He dealt with Haman immediately, didn't he? Esther 7, 7 through 8. A man is called to protect his wife, even willing to give his own life for her. Right? You have to have that mind that I am willing to give up my life for my wife, to put myself between her and danger, just as Christ did. What did Christ do? You see it all often, so often in the Gospels. Whenever his disciples, right, sometimes his disciples are being chastised by the Pharisees, and here comes Jesus. They don't even have to open their mouth, and here he comes to insert himself between the danger and his disciples, and most especially how he stood between you and the wrath of God on the cross. Believer, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. Men, you must be prepared to defend your wife, even to sacrifice yourself. And here's something even less popular today. You are to also have a watchful eye over your wife. The world really hates this idea. You know, if there are places that she's going to go or an interaction she's going to have that are potentially dangerous for her life, whether it's her soul or her body, you are to to be on the lookout for that and counsel her and help her see that maybe this ought not be a place she should go because of the danger. Um, Feminism has ruined this idea too, but women are vulnerable. You know, the army refuses to see this fact and you look at all the evils that are happening now because we refuse in the society to see women are more vulnerable than men, both spiritually and physically. You are to protect them and you are to help teach them to defend themselves as well when you are not around. They're not some hapless uh, lady who has to shriek and cry and faint. Teach them to defend themselves when you are not around. That's your duty. And I know, ladies, this might sound incredibly condescending to modern sensibilities, But your husband is called and charged by God to look after you and make sure you're not in any harm. And I also recognize this too. So take this for, uh, as I say it, um, it's also possible for a man to be overbearing, right? Or controlling. And if he is, wives, speak to him. And if you cannot resolve the issue, maybe go to another godly older couple to speak together or come to your elders. We're happy to speak to you if you feel this is the case. Because men can go overboard and and be overbearing. And that goes for all the doctrines that we're expounding tonight. But that also brings me to another subject when it comes to provision. Men, 
you must prepare for your own decease. You must not just have a care for your wife in this life, but if you were to be removed from life before her, you are to make sure that your wife and children are cared for when you are gone. You recall that this portion of Scripture is called the New Testament. Why? Because in the death of your husband, the testator, he died to give you provision even by his own death. And earthly husbands are called to care for their wife if they precede them into glory. This is especially necessary if the wife especially had no career to fall back on. She has taken all this time and she has sacrificed, hasn't she, to care for the home. Do you have no care for her when she, because of her sacrifices, has been left with no career? I can personally tell you of widows who were left penniless with young children, even in the church. Social security, man, is not going to take your wife and child very far at all. Budget for such things, maybe like life insurance or something else. But whatever you do, you need to have a care today that your wife and children will not be left destitute. Yes, God will care for his own. Psalm 27, Psalm 37, they say as much. But it is your responsibility before God, men, to make sure that your wife and child are taken care of and not destitute. Now, with all this counsel to the husbands, some words for the wives. Um, I want you to say, you've probably heard it already, but I'll say it again. Don't believe whatever the world has to say about being a wife. The world is full of lies. And if you are a stay-at-home mom, you have probably been ridiculed. Whether directly from friends, maybe you graduated with others who have these smashing careers now in the world and they look at you and they might even look at you with disdain. Or maybe it's the case that indirectly you watch the news or you watch a television program and they're ridiculing women who are at home. So don't, don't ever buy the lie that to be a stay-at-home mom is a dishonor. It is in God's eyes a great honor. It's a great honor to care for your home, to prepare meals, to care for your husband and raise godly children. These things, and this is what we have to do. We have to put away the financial ledger for a moment and see that such things are of inestimable worth. Generations are going to, be, are going to come that are going to be blessed by your labors in the home. Your children's children will be blessed. And children, if your mom is at home with you, and you don't have all, and this is going to be a great temptation for you, and sometimes that makes your parents feel bad. If you don't have all the stuff that your friends do, because, you know, they have two incomes, their mom and dad both work, maybe your room is a bit smaller, or you have to share more with your siblings because of it, you need to see your mom and dad's sacrifice of worldly things is far more valuable than all the stuff that'll end up in the junkyard one day. You were cared for. You were loved. You were never neglected. They were always there for you. These are the things that really matter. These are the things that really matter in your life. Not whether you have the latest toy fad for today or the video game that's popular for a season and then suddenly you're buying PlayStation 6 now and you've forgotten all about number 5. But your mom was there all the time. What is that worth? And bless your dad too for working to provide a mom there who is loving you all the day long to provide a place of safety for soul and body both. Love like that is worth far more than anything the world can give you. 
And wives, grow in godly contentment too. If the husbands have to, you must too. Don't pressure your husband to provide what is unnecessary to have a certain kind of lifestyle. Be content if he's a, a single, if it's a single income home, he probably already has feeling great pressures in our society to provide for all that you need. And also cultivate the grace of gratitude for your husband if he is a breadwinner. Many women are plagued with ingratitude for their husbands. Sometimes they don't see their husband's hard work, that he is strained and stressed at work, and they never thank him for his work. He's always thinking, well, this is where our income is, and I must do a a really good job in order to provide for both wife and child. But thank the Lord instead for a man who is committed to providing for you. Just as many men do not praise God, we talked about this in the first sermon on marriage, they don't praise God for bringing them a woman Many women do not praise God for the man he has joined them to. But a wife who cultivates gratitude and puts aside covetousness will do well as a wife. And of course, that applies to all of us as Christ's bride, does it not? Well, anyhow, the other thing I would say, going back to the men, right? He who has found a wife has found favor with God and has found a good thing. And so what you have to do is remember that this woman is God's gift to you. And it is favor to you. And you must steward her as a great gift from God. And so our last heading will be provision for a wife's soul. Now, if the heathen should understand all those things that I have just said, the greatest difference is found where? Between the Christian husband and the unbelieving husband. The greatest difference is actually that the Christian man provides for his wife spiritual welfare. There are unbelievers, after all, who provide for material needs. And infidels can do such and such. But Christ was supremely concerned with our spiritual welfare and husbands must too of their wives. Verses 26 and 27, we read of Christ, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ washed us with his own blood, to care for our souls that were perishing. That washing is outwardly signified by the waters of baptism. And where do we go to find out what that waters of baptism and what the blood signify? We go to the word of God, don't we? By grace are ye saved through faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Jesus washes you by leading you to his word. He gave you faith in uh, believing in his blood, to receive his righteousness, to see him as the savior of the world, even your own savior. That's what the head, the husband of his church does. And what the husband will must not do is function as Christ in that way. He is not his wife's personal priest, but he is meant to lead his wife to Christ, even as you think of here, ministers, right, and elders. We are to lead the congregation to Christ. We are not priests. But we lead men, women, and children as under-shepherds. And so the man is a kind of under-shepherd of the home, and he must take this responsibility seriously. Too many Christian women wear the spiritual pants in the home. Far too many. And this causes all kinds of problems. And I have seen all kinds of problems. Even before I was a minister and I was in the church, seeing women take on the role of men in the home and the men are completely negligent in this area and it causes all kinds of turmoil, resentment, and difficulties in the marriage. 
Now, let me just say this, though, again, hard cases and so on. If your husband won't t- lead your children to Christ and won't lead you to Christ, uh, better you take lead in that, women, and teach your children. Uh, that's his shame and his folly to not do it. But godly men, godly men, while they are happy that their wife does teach their children of Christ, they are to remain the spiritual head of the home in leading the home in total, in total. But where will this begin, men? You are to be a man of the word. You are to be a man of the word. In other words, you're not to outsource your spiritual leadership and say, well, you know what? We go to church for a couple hours on the Lord's Day. The pastor will take care of all the spiritual needs and I'll just get back to the games and the Netflix. You are men to be men of the word. Men of the word. How can you wash your wife with the word if you are ignorant of it? If you cannot answer her questions and lead her to all truth, you are to be equipped to personally edify your wife through catechism, through study, through going through the Bible, uh, front to back, back and forth. You know, I've marveled at this. There are many men who will rightly, rightly point out and quite violently point out, and they're right in this, that women must not be teachers in the church, Right? They'll use 1 Corinthians 14.35 of proof of it, which it is. But I think far too few of these men have thought of their own obligations in that verse. Listen to what it says. And if they, wives, will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. If they will learn anything, what comes next? Let them ask their husbands at home. Have you ever thought on the obligation that puts on you men? to be teachers to your wives. You are to be receptive to her questions that are spiritual and then lead her to the truth of God's word. Just as you must gain skill to provide for your wife and children materially, you must do the same spiritually. And this is what separates Christian men from Christian boys. It's not the beard, the gun, the whiskey that makes you a man. This makes you a man. And when it comes to your own learning, lead her, men, as you learn. Often in churches like ours, we find that men have studied doctrines for years. Maybe it's things like the Sabbath or it's worship practices or infant baptism. And then they suddenly come one day like Moses from the mountaintop and tell their wife, well, this is what we must do now. And the wife is taken aback, and and they expect their wife to, in a minute, grasp what has taken them months or years, and maybe tons of counselors and sermons and readings. But if they had worked with their wives, uh, as they were themselves were wrestling with doctrine themselves, they would likely find an eager partner ready and able to make changes. And take time working with your wife through these things. You know, one of the things that I often thought on Jesus as our heavenly husband is his patience with his disciples. You know, what did he say in John sixteen twelve? I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Right? He, he understood that there are many things to say to you, but I, you cannot bear them now. And wouldn't it be right? Wouldn't it be right for Christ? To say, you must know all the truth of the scripture. That is your duty after all. Let me just unload them on you right now. He leads his wife. He leads her and progressively sanctifies her, washing her bit by bit through the word of God. 
Well, if that's the husband's responsibility for his wife's personal edification, perhaps no greater matters are his responsibility, spiritually speaking, than those that deal with worship. Corporate, family, and personal, private worship. In all of that, the husband is to be a spiritual leader and guide too. It is the husband's responsibility, men, that his wife and children, but we're talking about the wife today, have a place to worship corporately. A place that worships the Lord, especially in spirit and in truth. A place that preaches the gospel, that her soul would be uh, refreshed and renewed. That affects all the decisions in the household. Even the decision on provision. Right? What do we read in the Bible? Is the husband to pitch his tent towards Sodom? No. The husband must pitch the family tent towards Zion so that he and his wife can worship Jehovah. He must be willing even to forego a measure of worldly wealth for heavenly treasure in Christ for the sake of his family, if not for the sake of his own soul. And as husband and wife, we heard this already, that you are companions for life. And so this will even affect where you are going to spend the end of your days together, isn't it? They must begin their marriage close to Zion, and they must end their days even close to Zion. Men, your family, in case you couldn't parse all that out, I'll just be blunt. Your family must have a solid, orthodox, Bible-believing church where you can hear the gospel and worship the Lord according to his word. Will you say, men, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And that's your whole household not just your own personal pup tent, so to speak, but your own whole household. So many men will abandon the house of God for the tents of wickedness. But what does Jesus say to such men? Remember Lot's wife. Note, when 1 Corinthians 14, as I spoke of it earlier, spoke of personally edifying your wife, the assumption is what? That the two of you are in church. Let her not speak in the church. You two are assumed. It's your bare obligation to be in church. Personal and family worship are no substitute for corporate worship. Think of it this way. The church will be the birthplace of spiritual children. The church is the place of the richest communion with God and his saints. The church is the, mis- the, the steward of the mysteries, the oracles of God. And the church's elders are called to look over your own souls. You know, both husband and wife need to know that there are those who are caring for them and their own souls. Your children too. And churches have elders to do that. And the other part of this, and maybe this is less plain, but is something that must be said, is to make sure, husband, that your wife can worship even if she's part of the church. You know, children sometimes come into the the, the family and men seem almost utterly clueless that their wife cannot worship God. They're wrangling the children all the time. And so you are to have a care and help with the children or rotate these parental duties. You know, a man, a man will find out a way to make sure that both he and his wife are being washed by the word when they come to church. Second, then, men, you are to lead your wife in family worship. Some men won't do it until children come along. And that's wrong. That's wrong. 
As the spiritual leader of the home, you and your wife are to worship together. And one day the children will leave, and you and your wife are to worship Jehovah together as a family. You are a family. And maybe part of the reason so many marriages break up when the children are gone is because husband and wife have never come together under Christ. We'll soon have a Sabbath school next Lord's Day. Elder Silva will be uh, teaching on family worship. So for time's sake, I'll just leave that here. Third, and here's something where you must, you must tend to your wife, men. Make sure, and this is hard, but it's your responsibility before God. Make sure she has time for her own personal, private devotions and spiritual exercises. If you are to love her as yourself, and you find, and I hope, well, if you don't find any value in it yourself, you got that to repent of today first. But if you find value in your spiritual devotions, the closet, the time with the Lord, you are to love your wife in the same way to say, whatever I need to do to make sure she has space to get to the closet herself, the secret place, I will make sure. Are there chores you can offload from her? Does she need help? You know, your marriage is going to fall apart if your wife is not close to the Lord. Let me just put it that way. If selfishness will maybe motivate you. If your wife isn't close to the Lord, how will she and you get through life's storms together? So are there chores you can offload? Does she need help? Do you need to scale back on activities? Maybe like so many families today, you're doing all these things, but not spending time with God. Ensure she can spend time in the word and in prayer devotionally. A woman needs it just as much as a man. We all need communion with Christ. And lastly, protection goes along with provision, as you heard last time in the last heading. Spiritual as well as physical protection. Protect your wife from heretics, the heterodox, and all those who would seek to snatch her from Christ. What was Adam's great failure in the garden? It was not to lop off the head of the serpent when he opened his slimy mouth and said, Yea, hath God said to his wife, But Jesus protected his bride from both Satan and Satan's men like the Pharisees. You do the same. Do not let her dabble in things even her friends might be into if they are contrary to Christ and his word. And women, don't take the feminist ethos in any of this. It is not condescending if your your husband cares for your soul. He is called to do that by God. That's an expression of Christ's care and compassion for you. That's what your husband is meant to be. And again, if he is overbearing, talk to another older couple or come talk to your elders. But don't be offended by it if he has a reasonable care for your soul. And I would say, women, you are a helpmate. So if your husband is not or he is negligent in these things, respectfully open his eyes to these things. Speak to him about them respectfully so, but do speak to him. You are a helper to him in all things, in life and godliness. That's why God gave you to him. You are not to be trampled underfoot. You are not, uh, you are not his slave. You're not his uh, minion. You are his helper. Help him in spiritual things. Be his closest advisor. Let him know out of love and be open to his leading. Don't be contentious against his attempts. So many women are like this. They're contentious against a husband's attempts to lead and teach. Be thankful in this day especially if you have a man who is willing to do it. It is sadly a rare thing. Again, so many men are boys these days. 
Well, our time is up, but men, consider your duty to protect and provide for your wife in all ways, spiritual and physical. If you've failed, if you've been convicted, as I said in the last sermon, repent. The Lord is gracious. He forgives and he blesses new obedience. But above all, if you take nothing else away today, men, women, children, all, let us be thankful that our heavenly husband cares so deeply for us, so deeply. And let us anticipate the day when we will forever be wed to him in the glory to come. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. Our gracious God and Father, We are very much in need of counsel from your word. We often go into marriage or prepare for it haphazardly and have never asked, what hath God said in the word? And Father, you know our our difficulties. We're in a society of children. As the scripture says, women and children are our leaders and uh, men are no longer men. Forgive us, Father, but not just forgive us. Make men men, make women women, make children children, but make them all godly in their various uh, vocations. We bless you and praise you for Christ, our heavenly husband. We pray that you would give us his heart towards uh, our own earthly wives and that wives would have the heart of the church to uh, submit to their husbands, even as their husbands protect them and provide for them. O oh God, give us a vision out of your word of what marriage ought to be and help us all be conformed to it. Not that we would foremost have a life of happiness, but that we would have a life that glorifies God for his good design. And we pray that that would have us the, receive the blessing, that the blessedness of the home that fears God. Would you do this for your people? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.